Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the very brightly lit Bo Lay. I know. I don't know what's going on. It's very sunshiny today. There's a lot of sunshine happening this morning. (laughs) And our guest today is Faristine Moquini. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. Let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking. So in some of our Drinking with Authors swag. I have, um, it's lemonade and it's been a while since I did this, but I took a shot of Skunk Brothers Lightning and put it in the lemonade because that's, it's moonshine and that's how you have to drink it. So I'm starting my day with some moonshine and lemonade. It'll, it'll either wake me up or it'll end badly. One of the two, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it's totally fine. You might have to take a nap later. (laughs) You know, I am down to take naps. I'm a big fan of naps. Um, Bo, what are you drinking? I have an iced coffee that I made and it is very good. And it's, I think my third today so far. Oh, wow. Speaking of people who are going to crash very soon. In the yeah. afternoon. <laughs> First thing, what yeah. are you? Well, since I'm not feeling exactly too well. What are you drinking well, today? I said, I said, since I'm not feeling exactly too well, I wouldn't want to be taking any alcohol. So I have just a table water, aquafina here in Nigeria, cold water. To chew my body down. (laughs) You know what? I have water too, because if you're going to drink, you should drink water anyway. I'm a firm believer (laughs) in that. Um, Hydration. Okay. So for the audience that doesn't maybe know what you write, what do you write? Well, Tales of Judah for my first book, it's a fiction. It's historical fiction based on the transatlantic slave trade history. So that's about the long and short of it. Yeah. It follows the life of the main character, the protagonist, Jidofo, from Ila, where I'm from in Nigeria, in southern Nigeria, down over to the Caribbean in Jamaica. So in a sense, it's a tale of love, of history, of esoteric themes like dreams and the afterlife, because those those areas really fascinate me. So readers who are fascinated with all of these themes and topics would really get to enjoy Tales of Jidofo. Very, very cool. So when did you write this? When when did you do your first book? Um, it was published in 2022 by Tamarind Hill Press in the UK. But I actually began writing as early as 2020 during the lockdown. Oh, the so, so this pandemic. was a, a lockdown writing. We, yeah. we, we <laughs> talked to a lot of authors that um, either did a bunch of books or started in the lockdown. So yeah, 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 let's yeah. go pre-lockdown. Let's go before the lockdown. <laughs> did you do writing? Was that something you wanted to do before or was it before like- Before the lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the general idea for Tales of Jidofo, Tales of Jidofo had begun as a short story which had entered into a competition, Goge Africa, yeah, a television show about tourism and African culture. So in 2019, they had a short story competition whose theme was our area, our heritage. So I'd enter Tales of the Door for a short story version. So from that, in 2020, the following year, during the lockdown, having so much time, and it it, it just happened that at the, at the very start of the lockdown, I was working in or a farm, one of the largest farm in Southwest Nigeria, in Yoruba land. So I had so much time, so much space, and being in the culture so deep in the heartland of the jungle, it felt very inspiring for me. And had I had about nine months to do all of my writing. So Tales oh. of Judah was born. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is that has got to be really fun to um be there and absorb the environment like yeah, that. Because yeah. a lot of times we write about things that are, you know, like I've written about. I wrote about a story that was based in Boston before I actually went to Boston. Went to Boston. (laughs) You know, like I I was Google mapping. It was very weird trying to like, okay, where is this thing? So I'm saying the right stuff. But then when I actually went to Boston, it was interesting because I realized my story would have had a different feel to it. Not that it was bad or it was wrong or I got in, you know, do your Google research on things. But um. (laughs) I found that like, had I been in the environment, there's just like a feel yeah. when you're in environments, yeah, even yeah, if yeah, true. you look at them or watch movies and stuff, like you go to any big cities or you go to other countries, 
you you differ have a different feeling. Like I'll tell you, I got yeah, the opportunity yeah. to go to South Africa about wow. uh, yes, before the lockdown, I got to go to South Africa and wow, it was just so different. I was down in Cape Town <laughs> and like you're around animals. Like that's not something <laughs> you would have really in the United States. I mean, yes, you yeah, can go yeah. to the forest and stuff, but literally you're walking past by zebra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's you, and you're like, what what is this? That like we went to lunch and there was these giant um walruses literally on the dock. We walked past to go to lunch. And I was like, if I looked at pictures, it would never have communicated what this yeah. is like. And I went to yeah. the um Cape of Hope, I think it's called, like the, the most Cape of Good Hope at the very tip of Southern Africa, yeah. yeah can't even describe you can't even describe what that's like looking at that water looking at that place so that is amazing so did you spend how much time did you spend in that environment i, I, I spent nine months at the farm at the farm oh my on the contract project so immediately the lockdown began that was in nigeria the lockdown began around march or so 2020 so from march down till about october before i go back to worry where i stay so in all of those months, I had basically because myself and my colleagues we are utility managers for the farm. So from the very setup to facilities, installation, and all of those stuff, we are there from the very onset of the farm activities and processes. So of course it was quite active in terms of the farming and agricultural activities, but I had a lot of free time, especially in the nights, in the evenings, so much space because the farm was about 300 hectares. Oh, so wow. it felt it felt it felt I felt really immersed in traditional African society. Cotillos of Judofo again is a story of African history, African society before the advent of the Europeans, before the advent of the colonialists and all of this stuff. So it was really, really inspiring being being such a true traditional setting, untouched sort of like virgin land, I would say. So it really got me inspiring. I, I did I did most of the writing there at the farm, but I would say I put the very, very final full, full stop on the project. That was in April, the following year, 2021. Then I started the hunt for a publisher. Then eventually I would get to meet Samarin Hill Press. Luckily for me, I had known the, the editor and the CEO of, the, of my publishing group since, I believe since way back as 2017 or so when I used to write short stories on, on Facebook for my friends and acquaintances from all over the world. And again, looking for me, as if by, but I say fortunate luck, because my editor, Kimon, is from is is originally from Jamaica, which the second half of the story, but Jidofo's story begins from Ila in Nigeria, down over to Jamaica, and I've never actually been to Jamaica, so I had no idea how the culture was. Just as you're saying, I had to do a lot of googling and stuff, but having an editor who's originally from there, the way I'm originally from Nigeria, it created sort of like a blend and interwoven relationship where the story was properly was put in its proper light and realistic perspective for readers as readers would get to see it too. So, I love that. And <laughs> that that has to help so much too, though, because it, like I said, you can write things, but if you're not from the area, from there, yeah, yeah, you you can get little um nuances of how things are said or things are done yeah, yeah. even though you know the words and you can see the picture like you know you see this great picture of this place and you talk to your editor and they're like nobody goes there that's a tourist yeah. trap <laughs> everybody goes to this place because they you know and or, I, or I, like we don't say that we say this other thing and you're like but i read it on google translate and they're like no no it's wrong <laughs> oh google translate uh Okay, writers out there, listen to this warning. Do not use Google Translate <laughs> to get because it's very in you know, Google Translate can help if you get sent some things to get an idea, but yeah, I find yeah. Google Translate is a is right about 65% of the time. 65% of the time it has the words, but it's not how somebody would actually the meaning, say it there. Yeah. The meaning it doesn't have, yeah. Yeah. The slang or the oh we you know we don't quite say it like like in the in the U.S. one of the things that's really interesting because I lived in California and I lived in 
uh, Wisconsin, which is the very north, right? So all the way out west, all the way out north and stuff. And so in the north, they say pop instead of like soda. They say, do you want to pop? And I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, what are you talking, what are you talking about? about? <laughs> yeah. You're like, what is that? But in California, they say, do you want a Coke? And they don't just mean Coke. You go, you go, yeah, I want a Coke. And they go, okay, what kind? Like, they'll ask you what kind of soda <laughs> you want. <laughs> yeah, they go, you go, yeah. No, yeah, you know the funny thing. A Coke, and they ask what kind. You know. And then down south, though, you Wait, say. Sorry for cutting short. The funny thing is that in Nigeria and in much of West Africa, like Ghana as well, we don't for soft drinks. We say minera. <laughs> so when I go to the store, I would say, I want a mineral. For someone like you who's a foreigner, you'll be like, what am I talking about? What mineral? <laughs> but the seller understands that. That's the slang here in West Africa. Mineral means <laughs> soft drink. So that's oh, the same here in Nigeria, which see? is way different from anything you guys have in the U.S. <laughs> exactly. And so if you came over here and said that, everybody would be like, <laughs> but it's so weird because i think that's true even in like africa as a country you go to different areas right as a continent but you yeah. go to different areas yeah. and you um find that they say things differently or you have different slang and if you're not asking somebody who lives there and not only lives there yeah, but lives in the culture that you're talking about, then they're gonna you're gonna have it wrong in the book. And then people from there read it and go, what are they talking about? <laughs> thing. Um, okay, Bo, ask some questions. I know I'm monopolizing the whole thing as you per usual. Yeah, she always does that. Um, how did you approach research of like the more like uh, back in the day things that were like not you know modern? How did you approach that? Uh oh, did we did we momentarily Uh-oh. lose him? You gotta love internet connections, but that is a beautiful picture of a whale jumping. In- yeah, I love it. In the water, I wonder if that's him. That yeah, yeah. hopefully he. Oh, there he is. Yes, he I think he's coming back. Okay, and we lost him. Oh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with drinking with authors. Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. And we're back, and we're back, and we have him back. Okay, so Bo, ask your question again. How did you approach research of like, um, like the, since it's about like the African slave trade, how did you approach research on that topic? Well, again, the internet, Wikipedia, <laughs> free knowledge sort of. But again, yeah. since Tales of Judofo begins from my own history from Ila, because I'm from Ila, mm-hmm. that's in Western Igbo land. Again, I'm from there, so I do get to go home. I do get to listen to the stories from my elders, from my grandparents, because I've always really been interested in my history, my background. Luckily for me, where I'm from in La, we have a very rich history that traces all the way back to all of the myths and legends in Igbo land. So all of those, all of these themes really interplay in Tales of Judo, because of course I'm writing sort of, I, would, I wouldn't say exactly direct experience, but I'm working with individuals whose life really interplay with all of this. My grandparents, people from my homeland who really understand the land, the cultures, the traditions, and all of those stuff. Then for, of course, the history of the transatlantic slave trade, I had to do a lot of research, a lot of reading, 
I, I read through the memoir of Ola Daikwa. I don't know if you people, folks know him. He's one of the first Igbo writers. His memoir about his life was published in the 18th century, I believe in 1785 or so. It was one of the pioneers, one of the strong forces against the slave trade at the very end, tail end, was one of the forces who was instrumental in ensuring that the slave trade would be ended in the British colonies, I believe in 1803 also, at the start of the 19th century. So it was very instrumental. And he was an Igbo writer, writing from the time period, Tales of the Dog, for a setting in the 18th century. So I really I got to enjoy and follow his story because I got to understand how life was in Igbo land in that time. Of course, I have no idea how life was in, in Igbo land in the 18th century, 200 or so years ago in the past. So having his work excellently written, and of course, other research I had done on how slaves were treated, how the Middle Passage was, what eventually happens to the slave when they land over in the New World, in the Caribbean, in North America, and all of this stuff. So it was really interesting for me because I've really been interested in all of this stuff. In fact, Tales of Judofo has this, before I'd written the short story for Goge Africa in 2019, I'd actually written a Facebook post in 2017, kind of like a short story, <laughs> Just three-ish mm -hmm. stuff on my Facebook feed. And it got a lot of reactions from my friends from all over the world. So I got to see firsthand that a lot of people are interested in this topic, not just Africans like myself from West Africa, but Africans in diaspora, folks like yourself in the US. A lot of people from diverse cultures, they're really, really interested in exactly how the slave trade, as dark as the history may be, how exactly it had played out, how instrumental it was to the history of that time and how it's still in, in, interplays in our life today. So it was really interesting for me having to do all of those research because I've really, just like I said, I've really been fascinated about that time, place in history. I believe it's not just instrumental for black folks like myself, but for white folks mm -hmm. like you guys and people from all over the world. I think it's vital that we learn histories. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting because, um, I'm reading an, another book right now and one of the it's a it's a fantasy book but they they have historians in it right and literally yeah. the historian right now in the book because there was a and a takeover in an empire I'm going to do my best to describe this but he basically is gathering everything and there was a previous empire but they're wiping out any historical history of that previous empire and rewriting yeah. the history of how things went down for official records all over this land. And yeah. I was listening to this because I, I take my dogs for a walk and I'm listening to it. It's a fantasy book and it's just, you know, about the evil emperor, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that like literally hit me probably harder than mm -hmm. anything's hit me in a book in a long time is I went, this is how they do this. Like how yeah. much of this has happened in the past where they go back and depending on who's in charge and who has control of the, the narrative, they rewrite what they want communicated as to how this thing went down in, in history. And yeah. the only way to keep that um, going is to you know, the truth is by generational retellings of stories. And lucky for us now, more and more books coming out because they can't rewrite your book, right? Like they can't retell yeah. your yeah. story. And I think that um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I think it's so vital because especially historical fiction, there's so many truths in what we're talking about that you can glean that even if they go change the official history books on how something is said, they can't change the stories that are communicated, yeah. which true, true. is so vital to me because I'm listening to this. And I think I literally re-listened to that section like five times going, wow, <laughs> that's really screwed up, but that's how it's done. That's how it actually happens in reality. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's terrifying that that's a reality, but you don't think about it like that until it's presented that way. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Tangent again. Bo, back to your question. Sorry. <laughs> you said you learned a lot from uh, your grandparents. Is there anything yeah, yeah. that they said that really surprised you? Well, my my grandparents were African traditional worshippers. Unlike my parents, mm -hmm. like myself, I'm, I was raised Catholic, Roman Catholic. So 
again, going home, because in Nigeria, actually from the Igbo tribe where I'm from, there's this culture of going back home. It's quite similar to the Jewish Passover in a sense. So every year, Igbo diaspora, wherever they may be in Nigeria, in the US, in the UK, would usually come home for Christmas. In Nigeria, there's a term for it, Oma December. It means in Igbo, it means the month of December. So it's like the month of return of Igbo people in diaspora. So again, my parents would usually take us down to the village to see my grandparents and all of the old folks in the village. And one peculiar thing was, that struck me was how different, but very similar to the Catholic faith, my ancestral beliefs were. Let's say, let me give you like an example, a sighting that was quite surprising for me as a young child growing up. Us Roman Catholics, we do believe in this court of saints that have the ability to intercede for you in prayers. Something similar exists in my own traditional Igbo beliefs and understanding of the universe and nature. There's this belief that your ancestors, your great-grandparents, like my grandparents are dead now. There's this belief that from here, I have a means to communicate with them. And they, from wherever they are, have a means to interplay in my life. Just like the saints have the ability to intercede for you in prayer in the Catholic Church. So something similar is in existence in my own traditional Igbo beliefs. That my, my ancestors, my parents, my grandparents have not abandoned me. That death is not the end. It is just like a, should I say, a bridge. And when, for each and every one of us, a time would come in our own life when we would have to cross that bridge to the other side. Like for the last session, the last part of the book, because the book is divided into eight parts. The last part is titled, Life is But a Dream, which is part of the philosophy I live by because it's a philosophy very richly deep in my Igbo tradition, which the belief is that the reality we see that is so physical, this chair, this glass, are not exactly as physical as we assume them to be, which has a basis in quantum physics as well. So the understanding is that all of this stuff I can see is a part of my consciousness. So it's, in a sense, it is similar to a dream. When I die and my consciousness would leave this realm onto the next realm of the afterlife, it was, we are akin to a dream. It's like when you have a dream, and Tales of the Dofa is peculiarly a Tales of Dream. There are a number of dream scenes in the story. Dream scenes are so important in the story that they are written in a unique blue ink in the story to differentiate them from everyday reality. So just like that session represents life is but a dream. It's, it's, it's like a, a part of my own traditional Igbo spirituality that, that I want to give to Africans and people from all over the world, from different cultures, like an intake into our understanding of life and how we should find. Since life is but a dream, just like the poem goes, roll your boat gently down the stream. There's no need to be in a hurry. There's no need to force. There's no need to cost because all of this stuff that you think is so important are not exactly as important because when you die and cross that bridge, you'd realize, oh, it's not as important as I thought. Just like the way you'd wake up from a scary dream and you'd be relieved and, ah, it was all a dream after all. For most of us, it would be a similar thing. Ah, so the life that was so serious is not exactly, it's kind of like a divine comedy. Sort of. <laughs> So that's one understanding I got from my grandparents, from my traditional African view of spirituality that is within the pages of Tales of Jidofa that I really believe would connect with, especially Africans in diaspora who, in a sense, have lost that aspect of our culture. That aspect has been severed from the root. And it's something I, I want to use Tales of Jidofa as a medium to connect Africans in diaspora back home, sort of, yeah. I think that's uh, like a really good point in that our beliefs are not much different yeah. no matter where we're, we're from. Yeah. So it kind of, everyone's connected. And it's, connected it's in nice. the end. And yeah. Tales of Judofo is already connecting me because um, in March, I'd gone to see the High Commissioner of Jamaica in Nigeria, in Abuja. That was in March, mm -hmm. just some months ago. So just as I had said, he's already carrying out the mission of trying to connect Africans in diaspora, people in the Caribbean, African-Americans, British Africans, all over the world. It's bringing back, black folks back home to a new telling, a new perspective of our African culture, unlike it has been told several years in the past. This is a new first-hand because I myself, I was born and brought up in Nigeria, deeply immersed in the Nigerian culture, telling the story to Africans in diaspora, to people from every culture. So I know it is something that really 
engage with them in some spiritual way. What has been um, an interesting reaction from a reader? Like your most, uh, like that comes to mind to you as like a, <laughs> wow, that was like a crazy moment. Well, the most craziest one I would see was that because Tales of Judah follows and eventually in Jamaica, Tales of Judah would, um, would meet Mary Jane, where his love story would begin on the second part of the story in Jamaica. And lo and behold, one of my readers, who is, who is American, but she's originally from Haiti, there are so many themes in the story and so many scenes that are almost exactly like her life, almost point to point. So she, <laughs> she had messaged me all the way from the US because I met her on Instagram. And she was like, I was telling a story of her life and I had no idea. <laughs> it felt as if the story of Mary Jane within Tales of Judah just like a retelling of our life and you really got the two of us to connect really really deeply really really deeply then again another reaction i got that was really engaging for me was from a Ghanaian lady she lives in canada now she's a she's a nurse mm-hmm. in canada and lo and behold although I, I got to reach out through instagram i had no idea who she was originally she lived she was born and brought up in where i live now so it's, <laughs> it was really strange. All the way she's in Canada now, a Ghanaian, not actually a Nigerian, but she was born and brought up in Nigeria, not just in Nigeria as a whole, but born and brought up in the city that I was born and brought up in, in Wari. So it was really striking. In a way, Tales of Jesus had connected, had connected her back to Nigeria, back to Wari, where, she's, where she was originally born in. So these two experiences are the two that, from the top of my mind, that really connected to me. Because in a sense, Tales of Jesus is a spiritual book in a way to me because mm-hmm. I, I, I was really deeply enmeshed in the culture, not just the culture, but the spiritual understanding of Western Igbo people, from people of Ila, where I'm from. So having to see all of these coincidences, all of these serendipity, my editor is from Jamaica, I have folks who are, so it's, it's really, really interesting for me. And I'm, every day I get to, I get more news like this, more coincidences. and. More, stuff of this nature it's really really interesting so it's more of that everyone's connected thing (laughs) (laughs) muted what are you working on right now (laughs) i was muted and i'm sitting here talking it's fine it's fine i'm gonna drink some more lightning it's okay i'm good anyway what are you working Uh, on right now my friend currently i'm working on (laughs) the the audiobook for tales of the will soon be available. I've been working on it. It's being done by Dr. Etim Ayo. He's the director of Nigerian Nostalgia Project. Another lock of serendipity on, on the part of Tales of Judah. All of these folks I'm meeting, I had no idea. Who they, I just meet them online, just as I've met you folks online, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and platforms like that. So he's the director of Nigerian Nostalgia Project and is working with me currently for the audiobook. So that will be available. By the end of this month, I believe, by God's grace. So that would be really interesting because he has a really nice voice. He's Nigerian from Southern Nigeria, mm-hmm. where I'm from. So the names are not exactly a mouthful <laughs> for him. But and I I wanted somebody like him who's an American, which is a nice American. He has this nice, he sounds almost like, Meg, like, like Morgan Freeman to me. And I love voice, deeply rich African voice like that. <laughs> so having someone with that rich voice tell the story. Is, is is really pleasing for me. And of course, his platform being the director of Nigerian Nostalgia Projects, which connects Nigerian news and history from all over the world. Because he, he gets, he has like a following of Africans in diaspora, quite a substantial amount. So all of those platforms, I believe, will really be helpful for the journey of Tales of Judah for me. Then currently also, I'm also working on the follow-up novel because Tales of Judah is part of a trilogy. Tales of Judah is based on the past. The following, the next book, the follow-up book is titled Once Upon a Lifetime. And that will be based in the future. Then eventually there will be a last book, a third book, which will be based on the present about my own life. Because Tales of Judah is sort of like my incarnation in the past during the era of the slave trade. Then the follow-up book will be my incarnation in the future 
after World War Three in a dystopian world, and eventually the third book will be everything will tie in all of the different themes and all of the stuff in the novels will tie in in its third novel, which will be about my own personal life as Farstin A. Smokwen. So when is book two so, coming out? And book two will come out when I'll be in the UK for my master's next year, because I'll be traveling January to the UK for business management at the University of Law, Birmingham. So I, I believe being in a new environment, being in a new culture, because I've never really been to Europe, being in a new culture would really inspire me in a new way. So I tell the story differently in a new way, because once upon a lifetime, we'll follow the life of Ella, a girl now, not a teenage, but still a young adult setting, a coming of age mm-hmm. book, sort of. So when I'll be in Europe, when I'll be in the UK for my master's, I believe I'll have ample time and new inspiration, new knowledge that would be inputted into the storytelling for Once Upon a Lifetime. So next year, and again, I'll be closer to my publishers who will be in Durham about three to four hours away. So we'll have more opportunities for collaborations, for new inventive ways, for marketing and all of those stuff. So I believe you guys will really enjoy it next year when Once Upon a Lifetime will be done. I'm already working on the manuscript though in Nigeria already. So when I, I would have enough time to do the editing and all of those stuff the following year, 2024, when I'll be in school. That is super exciting. So <laughs> what is, has that been just sort of awesome when that book finally came out and like there's a whole feeling when that happens. What was that yeah, like yeah. for you? <laughs> I remember it was published on the 29th, if I'm correct, of July 20. That's about a year now, about a year now, 2022. So it was really exciting because in my family, I'm not sure there's anyone who has ever published any book. So it was really interesting, really, really interesting for me. Again, I had no idea how to go. Everything just happened by serendipity, sort of by fortunate luck. Everything just went in order as it should be. I got to meet my editor, did the editing. I was keenly a part of the process of the editing. Really interesting for me because I've never had that experience before. It was really, really, really exciting. I've never, <laughs> I've never felt anything exactly like that. Really, really exhilarating, sort of. Really, really interesting for me. So um, what was would, that like also when you got the book in your hand? For the first I, time. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, you know, you're published, it's great. But when you get that yeah, but when you get book, the book. <laughs> what was that like? Ah, uh, really nice. Really, really nice. Really nice. I got home. I showed it to my parents. But to send via DHL from the, from the UK down to Nigeria to me here in Worry. So I went into town to the DHL, DHL office in Worry. I got it, took it home, showed my parents. And I went to, I have a mentor in Worry. He's an entrepreneur. He's a pastor and a preacher. So I gave to him a copy as well for him to bless the book. And all of it was really interesting because I got a lot of prayers, a lot of pats on the back, <laughs> a lot of hugs. I really felt as if I had achieved something really, really meaningful uh, that would help not just my own self, but Africans and people from different cultures all over the world. So it was really, I... really exciting. I think that's amazing. That is so awesome. Okay. Bo, one more question from you, and then we're doing literary briefs. Okay. Um, how has marketing been for you? Mm, quite a new experience because now because sales of Judofa in a way is an introduction into marketing and sales generation for me. My ultimate plan is to go into entrepreneurship. I have a few business ideas. That's the reason I'm traveling down to the UK for my master's because I'm originally a chemical engineer. I studied chemical engineering at the Federal University of Technology, Uwere in Nigeria here. So diversifying into business, into publishing, <laughs> into writing, it's all new for me. So luckily for me, I have individuals, good folks who are guiding me step by step. So the journey is very, very much enjoyable for me. But for the marketing and sales, it's been really interesting for me. And I would say for me, since I'm coming from sort of like a new background, I'm an engineer, I have this free hand of creativity that the average traditional publishing and their marketing inroads do not exactly have. Like my focus now has been on social media all this while. Again, my publishers are a small press in the UK, so they don't have enough tentacles to do all of the marketing for me, but they have a good following in the UK where they are based. So on my own part, what I'm, I've been searching for means or platforms Thankfully, I've met 
good folks like you guys <laughs> who have given me this platform. And over the months since the book has been published since July last year, I've been on a number of platforms. I was even I was on a television show in Barbados. That was some weeks ago. So all of this is very interesting, having to be on television, having to be on podcasts, having been to be on Instagram lives and all of this stuff is really interesting, really. And I, I can see how they would really give me the basis for when I'll be an entrepreneur because I already have the business plan of what I would do it, it's, it, to market because the business idea would market African attires and jewelry to Africans in diaspora. So Again, mm-hmm. writing a book like Tales of Judah, I believe I'll be introduced to Africans in diaspora, especially in their communities and groups and forums. So all of that will interplay when I would move over to business and sell them clothes and sell them jewelry <laughs> and sell them all that stuff from Africa that they, are, they don't have the access to because they are away in diaspora. So really interesting for me, interesting times. I'm just going along with the flow. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Um, rapid fire questions. Do okay. do do literary briefs. We get we got theme music now. It's fine. Um, oh, yeah, apparently <laughs> we keep getting thrown off because it's new theme music. It's it's totally fine. Okay, so the first question is, what is your favorite book of all time? My favorite book of all time. Hmm. As a big one, they are putting me on the spot because I like books on psychology. I, Robert Greene is one of my best writers based on human behavior and psychology. But then again, I really enjoy fantasy like Harry Potter and fantasy of that nature. Well, my favorite book of all times. I would say Dan Brown though, Dan Brown. And that would be the the Da Vinci Code because I really enjoy how it interplays mystery with spirituality, with history, with art into his storytelling. So I would say Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code would, would really be up there. For, but it's, again, just like I said, you're putting me on the spot because I have a lot of other selections I would, I would like to see up there. It, <laughs> tell- I, really, I really do enjoy Robert Greene for Three Years of Power because I love his storytelling, the way he interprets because I'm really interested in history and the way Robert Greene does his, his historical analysis of human behavior as he did, as he had done in Forty Eight Laws of Power with history, with legends from Greek mythology, Roman mythology is really, really interesting for me. So, but I, I would, I would take Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, what about uh, your least favorite book? A book you did not like? Mm. Did not like. Did yeah. Book I didn't like. Oh, let me think of a book I didn't finish. Uh, no one is really coming to mind yet. Of course, I wouldn't really want to name <laughs> name names and point fingers. But there was a book I read about the Biafran history, the Biafran war in Nigeria, quite similar to um, Chimamanda's Ngozi Adichie's book, Half of a Yellow Sun. But the way this writer had done, the book was presented to us when, because for my short story, for Goge Africa, I was the third runner-up. So it was like an event, a ceremony, gift giving and all of those stuff, prize presentation. So along with all of the prizes we had won, we were giving free samples of some books of fiction. And I got this book. I've forgotten the name exactly. But the storytelling for me was just all over the place. So she, she did justice again in, in, in the descriptive scenes, but... There was no, it's in a way, you know, when you see stuff like that that you don't really like, because then I was still writing Tales of the Dog. It really helped put for me in perspective how to tell a story in the chronological order where it would follow and not just jump all over. Maybe this this scene we are here, the next scene was 10 years away in the future, and you can't really connect. So the book was just exactly, was not exactly falling on the coin. In a chronological manner, in a chronological order. So I didn't really enjoy it. I've forgotten the name now at the moment, but on the top of my mind, that's the book I read of recent that I didn't really enjoy. Not really because it was not an excellent book. It was an excellent book in terms of the description. She really has a vivid mind, but she's just jumping all over the place. And I, I didn't really get to enjoy that. I want something that I can really follow back to back and follow the pages accordingly. 
Okay. What about um, where somewhere you want to visit? If there was not any like obligations, but you could magically just go there, where's a place in on planet Earth you want to go visit? Mm. There are a lot of places, though. <laughs> but I've always wanted to tour Africa, and I've always wanted to see Ethiopia, the country Ethiopia, because for us, especially in Black Africa, it's almost like a civil Zion, it's like the cradle of African civilization, sort of. So. <laughs> I'd love to see what Ethiopia holds. I've never been to South Africa like you've been. So I'd want to see all of the views, like as I've been told, of course. The South African climate is very different from what we have in West Africa. It's more of a Mediterranean type climate. So having that in Africa would be really interesting. And there are a number of places I'd want to see in Africa Kenya, Zanzibar, all of the resources and all of this stuff. But again, if as I'm getting to live my life, getting to travel, I know very well. I would want to tour Africa. I want to scan homeland, which I'm from, which I'm born in. And again, there are a number of places in Europe I would love to see. Of course, I'm Roman Catholic, so I would love to see Rome and all of the churches and cathedrals and cathedrals in Europe. I love to go to Israel and see the Holy Land and all of the stories I've read about in the Bible and see the areas where this stuff is not just stories on paper again, but actual real physical history. So I love that. Okay, Bob, questions. You said you like fantasy. What genre do you not like? A rom-com in a way, romantic comedy. I love love, though. <laughs> Let's not be <laughs> Let's not be as if I'm hating, but it just seems as if yeah, it seems as if that genre is successful and it's quite easy to market, sort of. So you just there are a lot of books based on themes surrounding romantic comedy, romance, and all of this stuff. And so sometimes you just see too much and it's like eating the same meal every day, every day, every day. That's not really interesting. But again, I, I don't really get to read it. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I don't really get to read a lot of fiction since I'm really interested in history and history cannot, again, be fiction. History has to be true. It has to have some basis in reality, have some basis of truth. So I'm really interested in books of history books of legends of the time past, books of human psychology is one reason I enjoy Robert Greene and human nature, how people think, how people perceive one another. Really, All of this stuff really intrigued me because they tend to have direct practical practice, unlike rom-com. If I'm not really in a relationship... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I just see that. I know, I know you said you like Dan Brown. What did you think yeah, yeah. about the, the movies? The movies? Yeah, mm. like Da Vinci Code. What yeah, was the yeah. third one I called? Um, Inferno, I believe. Inferno. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really do enjoy it because, again, one reason that led me to Dan Brown were the movies originally. So movies have a much wide... A lot of people watch movies than their readers to read your book. So yeah. for Dan Brown, I would say... I think a lot of people would complain like they did for Harry Potter that the movie that the movies are not doing exact justice to the storytelling in the novel. But again, these are two different fields. And I have dreams for turning Tales of Judah into a movie. In fact, at the very moment, I'm speaking to an executive producer in Nigeria with the African Magic Group. So if Tales of Judah again in the future would become a movie, it will not be exactly as it is in the book. And I understand that because these are yeah. two different fields of storytelling, if I, if I, if I can use that one. So I really get to, I, I've come to understand that script writing is way different from fictional writing, from non-fictional writing and all of this stuff. So but Dan Brown's books and his movies, I really, really do engage them. His, the movies are really, really nice. Especially the Da Vinci Code because I've, I've seen the movie first. If I had gone back, interested in the movie and gone back to find the novel to read. So I really, I really, really do enjoy movies like that. Those are my guilty pleasure movies. I love them <laughs> so much. I watch them all the time over and over again. <laughs> yeah. I always I always enjoy movies with themes of that nature, just grand, grand themes. It's the reason mm. I believe my favorite sci-fi movie of all time would be The Matrix. 
because I, I like oh. grand ideas of that. <laughs> grand ideas, grand checking, paradigm shifting ideas, just as Dan Brown is trying to do with, of course, someone like me who's Catholic, bringing the idea that <laughs> Christ could have a child or this mystery surrounding the Holy Grail and stuff like that. It's really, these are grand ideas that I really, I really, really do engage because I believe, they, they, of course, these stories are in a way unforgettable because they are quite hard to solve because of the 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 themes they, they focus on. These are grand themes that we occur over and over in, in our lives. Very cool. What about um, if you could change into any mythological kind of creature, what would you change into? <laughs> uh, I'm a Sagittarius, so I was born in December. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let me think, let me think. Definitely not a vampire. I don't like those vampire, those, <laughs> those romance stories surrounding vampires. I believe there are, there are too much of them out there in the world already. So I would, <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would say no to a vampire or a werewolf. I'd rather be a human being than be, than be a vampire. <laughs> but let me think, let me think. Mythological creature. Well, do gods from the legends count? Like Zeus and Jupiter, then I'll... Sure. <laughs> I mean, it could be anything. Pick one. Then I definitely like to be one of the gods from the legend who lived in a different realm and could interplay with life here. Very cool. Okay, um, I'm Bo. I'm going to give you the final question. I'm going to ask one more, and then you get the final question. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, what um is your idea? of like, what do you want to achieve as a writer? Like if you had one <laughs> way to describe what you want to achieve as a writer, yeah, what yeah. would you Well, for me, because the reason I read, because my own writing is stemming from my reading. I usually write articles and books that are similar to stuff I've already ingested in reading. For me, I, would, I want to do storytelling that would open the minds of people, give them new ideas like is the reason just like i said a moment ago is the reason i'm interested in grand ideas like dan brown did with the da vinci code and movies like the matrix did i really enjoy when you read a story and it just takes you into a mythological not just mythological sort of like like a, a realm that is only within the pages of those books so it just feels because books to me are like portals into a new universe sort of so I want my storytelling to be a medium in which people, millions, as, as they may come in different shapes and sizes and colors, would have this portal to always learn all of this knowledge, all of this new insight. Again, just like I said, for my storytelling for Tales of the Dove, I had to read the memoir of Ola Daikwaino written about 250 years ago. But still, it's preserved in, in paper and I can delve into that universe of the transatlantic slave trade of how it was, how life in West Africa was in that day and time, just because it's preserved in paper. And that is what I want my storytelling to do as well, to be like a magical portal through which people could travel the world. Like, of course, I, I'm, I'm sure you folks have never been down to Nigeria, but when you read Tales of Jidofo, you'd feel as if you're in the heartland, in the jungle somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in southern Nigeria, just because of the descriptive storytelling I'm, I've done. And I really I would want to continue in that part for um, once upon a lifetime, which will be set in the future, about 250 years in the future, in a future way different from now. I would really want my readers again for the book to be a portal to have like a view into how life in the future may be after World War Three, or how would life be when humanity no longer lives on the surface? Because that's the <laughs> that part of the theme for the story. So I just, I just really want to do storytelling, even though it's fiction, it is not exactly fiction. There are a number of truths in it, just like I've done with Tales of Jidofia, for where you see a number of our African spiritual understanding of fate, of dreams, of the afterlife, interplayed in the story. But it is fiction, but of course, it's not exactly fiction to somebody like me who's from that part of the world. I really, truly believe that the world is like a dream and that when I die, I would wake up to the higher realms of the world to the afterlife these are truths to me but in the book they are presented as fiction so i really want to do stuff like that just interplay putting truths here and there that really resonate with me in my storytelling and i know carry on for generations to come 
I love that. Okay, Bo, final question. What is your advice to new authors? New authors. I'm quite new myself, so <laughs> my advice would be just if you've discovered your gifts as writing, you just have to keep on your path. That's one thing. Is the reason is is one truth I've discovered about reality that those who often succeed are not the, are not exactly the talented or the gifted, so to speak, because each and every one of us are gifted in our own unique way. But from my observation of life, I've come to understand that it is those who keep at their dreams. It is those who strive on that really get to succeed. So, of course, the journey of writing is quite a daunting one. I'm sure you guys would agree. But if you've discovered that this is your life gift, this is, this is because the gifts, your gifts are not exactly meant for you. In my understanding of life, you are, you are supposed to share them with the world just as it is in the parable of the talents in the Bible, in the Gospels. If you should keep your talents away and refuse to invest, when the homeowner comes, which is death, when you will die, you'd come to understand that the opportunities of your life, you did not get to utilize them. You did not live the life of your dream because of your own choosing. You choose to, you kept your gifts and talents preserved away from the public. But that should be the goal. Instead, when you... When you get to give give out these your gifts, you get blessings in returns, just as it was in the, in the parable as well. The one who had two multiplied to four, and so on and so forth. It's it often happens like that as well. When you discover your talent, just as I have done with writing, you find that you're interested in other stuff. Just like I found that I'm keenly interested in business and in marketing and in sales generation. The more you learn about yourself, the more you continue to learn. It's to keep like a process you keep breaking boundaries and your circumference would continue to enlarge and expand so that would be my my saying just keep at your gift just when you discover your gifts don't there'll be a, there'll be a lot of noise background noise coming but listen to your own voice you already know the path and if you keep at it no matter how long it will take you would eventually reap your fruits I love that. Okay, so shameless self-promotion time. How do people find you on social media? How do people find your books? Uh, <laughs> I'm Farastin underscore A-E-Z. That's E-I-H-E-E-Z on Instagram. Um, um, the book Tales of the Duffer is available on Amazon. It's available on Bounce and Noble. On most of the major platforms, people, it's even available on Walmart, available on eBay, available on so many. Just Google up the name, Tales of Judah, it's available on all of the platforms that readers regularly get their books from. Then on, on Twitter, I am, what's my Twitter handle again? At center of the stuff. At Twitter, I am Waoba underscore of underscore Ila. I am from, it's sort of in Igbo, it means Prince of Ila, which is where which is where I'm from. So Waoba of Ila, that's N-W-A-O-B-A underscore of underscore Ila. Ila is I-L-L-A-H. So those are my handles on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm, I'm not quite active on LinkedIn as much and all other platforms, but I'm most active on Twitter and on, especially on Instagram. I'm most active on Instagram. Very cool. And your books, they can find your book, they can find it anywhere, correct? Anywhere, yeah, on Amazon and Bounce and Over and all of the major platforms they get the books from, especially folks in the UK. It, it was wonderful having you on the show with us. Thank you so much <laughs> for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. The honor was mine having to meet all of you. Awesome. It was our honor as well. <laughs> so, this has been Drinking with Authors. I have been your host, Erica Lance. Um, don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all of those things. And we will see you next time. <laughs>